It is so great to be at Oasis, and man, I've missed you guys so much during this pandemic. Miss everybody at Oasis, and it's good to see the team that we have here, and it's an honor. I want to thank uh, Pastor Julian and Christina. These guys have been doing an amazing job, and I'm so proud of you guys and just leading us um, through some difficult times, but doing an amazing job. And just the idea of it being Father's Day, I love that opportunity to speak to you. So happy Father's Day. And I have uh, two kids, two grown kids. And uh, I remember becoming a father changes you. And it's a, it's a continual transformation and change. I remember when we got the little pregnancy test with the first one, guess what, we're pregnant. And I was like, all right, it's about to get real. And I had no idea how real it was gonna get. But I tell you, what I figured out, learning to be a dad, is that the best parents on earth are the ones who don't have kids. Because they know how to answer every situation. They know exactly what they would do until they get kids of their own. And they find out, just like the rest of us, we don't know what we're doing. Uh, we try to figure it out, you know. There's a great quote I want to mention to you that's uh, from Billy Graham. And he said, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. I think that's a, a profound statement. And I used to think that deep down every man wants to be a good father, whether he is or not. But now, just looking at the actions and decisions of many people in our society today, sometimes I'm not so sure about that. But here is the distinction that I think is, is crucial that I want to bring to you, and, and that is that um, I do believe that every man um, either had a good father or wants to have had a good father. So let me just say that again to you. This distinction is, is, is important because every man either had a good father or wants to have had a good father. And I think most men deep down want to be a hero to their kids on some level, but um, many people this weekend, as we think about Father's Day, it, it can be painful for many people. And, and I wish that I could take away the heartache that you might feel um, when you face the thought of the loss of a father or the absence of your dad. And you know what? Jesus knew what it was like to be separated from his father. He knew what it was like to feel forsaken by his father. And he even experienced fatherlessness in his life with his earthly father passing. And we have a lot of expectations on our dads and probably uh, more than any human could really live up to. Some of our expectations are real, some of them probably unrealistic. But it's true that sociologists tell us that fatherlessness is the leading indicator for societal problems like poverty and abuse and drug addiction and suicide and other problems that we face in our society. And I'm, I'm saying that because of the role of father is significant 
to our society, to our culture. And we read that children raised in a fatherless home are five times more likely to live in poverty and nine times more likely to drop out of school and 20 times more likely to spend time in jail. And clearly, we know many people have overcome this dynamic in life, but we realize this issue is crucial to how we grow and flourish as people and as a culture. The nonprofit organization that we started, generosity.org, has a mission and a statement, and it talks about breaking the cycle of poverty, restoring dignity, and inspiring dreams. And I love that because I believe that's the gospel. I believe that's the work of Jesus. And so today, let's try to break the cycle of poverty in our thinking regarding fathers, restoring dignity in our life, regardless of what the dynamic is, because there is a spiritual battle or even a cultural battle on men in our world today and specifically fathers. And, and so let's, let's break that cycle and restore that dignity that God's put in our life. So I want to talk to you about the parable of, that we call the prodigal son. A parable is basically a story that Jesus made up, he created to communicate a valuable truth about the kingdom. We call this parable, the story of the prodigal son, and I believe we have misnamed it. Jesus didn't call it that. We did. I believe this parable should be called the parable of the father's heart, and we'll see that in the story. So let me just give you a 30,000-foot review of the story for those of you that have not heard this story before, but it's basically a story about two sons and their dad, and they're living a good life. One son asks for his inheritance um, now, you know, before his dad dies. So they're like, Dad, love you, but I want your stuff. And I want what's mine. He takes it and he wastes all of his money and returns, has to return back home in shame after a period of time. One son stays home and he's with the dad all this time. When his brother returns, he sees his father's joy and then he gets angry and won't celebrate the return of his brother. That's, that's the basic part of the story. But what I want to do is just dig a little deeper into this story and let's look at these characters. So son number one is the younger son and he's the one who he said, dad, I want the money that you're going to give me eventually. I want it now. And so he, he moves to LA, you know, he moves to LA, wasted on clubs and, and picking up tabs at restaurants and following his dream, you know, and he's writing a new chapter in his life on Instagram it looks like he's living his best life. You know, he's, got, he's like, hey, I'm in L.A., I'm having a party, good time. But just like everything else on Instagram, there's a whole other story going on in our soul. He runs out of money, he runs out of friends, and now he knows he needs to make some changes. So after he fails, he realizes he needs to return home. And he has to admit his failures, and so he's preparing a speech that I call it to give to his dad when he sees him. And it's a story that he's telling himself. 
This story he's going to tell his dad is a story he's telling himself. And, and it's the story he begins to, uh, to convey to him. And now I want to pick up this story in Luke chapter 15 and verse 20. And this is, the, this is where we pick it up. And it says, while he, that's the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, this is where the speech starts, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. True. And I'm no longer worthy to, of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for his, this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. I love that Jesus took the time to say they had a party. They celebrated. So here this son returns to his father and he is living out this fear and this shame because of the story that he's telling himself. And when he begins to tell the story to his father, the father's story is bigger than the son's story. The father's story is greater than the son's story. He rewrites the story with grace. And in that culture, People of means, as this family was, rich people didn't run anywhere. Rich people didn't run to get to the meeting on time. The meeting didn't start till they got there. People ran to them. And as far as I can see in the Bible, all of the Bible, the only place that I can think of where God runs anywhere is in this story right here where he's running to his son. He's running to you and me with compassion to embrace us. And he that's his posture to you and I. To this young man, the name father was another name for love. To me, this story, this moment means that God is deeply passionate about you and me and he loves us thoroughly. Now, let's look at the other brother, the son number two. And with this son, we are reminded that two people can be raised in the same house by the same parents and turn out completely different. Don't nudge anybody at home or point fingers, you know, but we probably know that. And um, what we realize, though, is neither son had the heart or the values of the father. We look at it on the surface and say, well, this one stayed and that one went. But we see that even though uh, people run far from God and they return, some people uh, are still at church. We've been to church for our whole life, but maybe we don't have the heart of the father either when it comes to reaching people and loving them. This older brother, he was focused on the failure of the younger brother. That was his focus. And we pick up the story in verse 28. It says the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go into the party that was going on. His father came out and begged him. The father still pursues us. He pursues both sons. He goes in. Come on. And, and the son said, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. 
Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. The father is pointing out to him, you didn't see something that was a reality around you all of your life. I'm sure in this story, part of the dynamic that's going on here is comparison. And when you start to, I mean, I think there's a good thing with comparison. You can kind of learn things and, and see how other people grow and so you can grow. But it's, it's so often turns bad for us. We compare our situation with your situation. My situation versus yours. And you'll always find that it doesn't look fair. It's unjust. It's unfair. But that's how life is. Like, think about whatever your greatest strength is, there's probably somebody better at that around. See, and the big truth of this story is everything I have is yours. I love you. I provided for you. I'm looking through the things that the son number two said and and I notice in this version of the Bible, the New Living Translation, he goes, all these years I've slaved for you. I have to look up that word, do a little research, because every other version that I know of, it says I've served you. But when you get a bad attitude in your head, you can go from I was serving to I've been slaving for you. It, it feels like we are forced, but all of a sudden there's something happening. And no longer is this my, when my brother returns, it's the son of yours. He's distancing himself. I'm disconnecting from this situation. And then, of course, he throws in squandering money on prostitutes. And if you read the parable, this is the only place I've ever mentioned. So he throws in a few sexual allegations just, you know, to justify his his criticism. And it makes me think of this dynamic we have in our world today uh, called the cancel culture. It's kind of interesting. And I don't know all the political ramifications of it. That's not what I'm talking about. But the vibe I'm talking about is that this cancel culture is directed at an individual or an organization to cut them off. It's like to boycott them. But do we have the full story? Because the way it evolves sometimes is like a mob bullying people. It's kind of like this. This is what this son has. He just cut them off. That's how I would represent my father in heaven is just cut you off. What's become in our world is that this culture is like if, if you don't approve of somebody's life and you might say, well, I'm not going to listen to their music anymore. That's fine. That's your choice. But the culture becomes. And if you, my friend, don't stop listening to them, I'm going to cancel you, too. That's where it just becomes out of control. And it's like we think, I become so woke to injustice that I can be as judgmental as I want to be. That just feels like the son number two in this story. Because the love of the father is hard for us to comprehend, but we must experience God's love. You and I, each one, each man, each woman, each person listening to this message, we have to learn to experience the love of the Father, though it's hard to comprehend. In Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul tells us about this love. He says, may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. He gave 
four dimensions in a three-dimensional world. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. May you experience the love, even though it's too great to understand. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I believe that you and I, as human beings, struggle so much with embracing the Father's love for us. And for me, I've discovered it's easier sometimes to believe God's love for others than it is for me. I'm trying to give grace and tell him, oh, he loves you no matter what. And then in the private times of my life, then I see my failures and I'm like, oh, he must be really angry. So, you know, with me, disappointed with me. And, and so we wrestle with that. And I, I truly believe that our identity, our individual identity or value is intimately connected to how we relate to the love of our heavenly father. There's a, a great author and thinker that I've been reading a lot lately named Henry Nowen. And I'll often go back to his books and read. And uh, there's a couple of quotes here that fit this I wanted to bring to you. And one of them, he said, I'm the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. He's looking for that father's love in places that only comes from the father. And also he says, Jesus came to announce to us then I, that an identity based on success, popularity, and power is a false identity, an illusion. Loudly and clearly, he says, you are not what the world makes you, but you are the children of God. And that's what I want to talk to you about in the rest of this message, is these false ideas that we believe from our culture. And so often we do what Henry said, we based our, um, our identity on success or popularity or power. And so here's what I'm going to talk to you about these three false ideas. One idea is I am what I have. We start to get our sense of significance or success or value based on I have what I have. It could be your, your house. Uh, I'm, I went from a single apartment to two-bedroom apartment to a house to a condo whatever it might be our car our clothing our brand new shoes whatever we, we start to feel like this is what defines us I am what I have I'm a businessman I'm, I'm I got a family I I, I am uh, what I am because of my health maybe that's it but see when these things change in our life and they always do we begin to feel like we're less we make less Income, we feel less of a person. We have less than what someone else has. We feel like we're less than them. The older brother is saying, hey, you're giving him this celebration with a calf. You haven't ever given me even a little goat. He's talking about what I have. Sometimes I think when others succeed, we get frustrated rather than rejoice with them about their blessing. Because if you think it through, then if they have more, they might be more valuable than me. But you see, Jesus held on to the voice of his father and that realization and the revelation that he is a loved child of God. He heard, this is my beloved son. I'm pleased. So when the demons of temptation came to Jesus... 
and got, tried to get him to act contrary to this realization that he is the loved son of God. He tried to get him in and slip him into what the rest of us deal with in focusing on things and status and popularity. And he said to Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You'll have everything if you just bow down to me. He was addressing that I am what I have. But Jesus was content in no, I am the son of God. My father is taking care of me. A second belief that we wrestle with as human beings is I am what I do. You know, we all want to do good deeds, but we um, and, the, and doing good things is a is a good thing. But when we confuse them with, you know, I've, I've accomplished these things. I've helped these people. I've, I've done this many things, you know, with generosity. We, we've done this many water projects. We've reached this number of people. But we are more than what we do. If we get stuck in this, hey, I'm a successful businessman. If the business fails, now what are we? I'm a pastor, just a small church. I'm, I'm a pastor of a big church. I, I am what I do. There's then we are very vulnerable to the dangers of ambition and entitlement. And the demons of temptation came to Jesus. Turn this bread to stone. Do this and you'll prove to me that you're the son of God. He didn't respond. He didn't go there. Remember when Lazarus was dead and Jesus came back and. They came to greet him. If you would have been here, he'd still be alive. You are what you do. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. And the third thing that a belief that we wrestle with is I am what others say about me. You're a good employee. I feel so good about myself. You're not as good of an employee anymore. Oh, now I feel terrible. You know, you're a good boss. You're a good mom. You're a great leader. You're a good person. We live our life based on popularity. As a pastor, every week, people say, what a great sermon. So good. I mean, this really helped me. And, and I feel good about myself because of things that people. And then well, it just takes one person to say, that was kind of a shallow comment you made, or I'm offended by what you said. And I spend the next three days worrying about that guy, that one guy, because somehow he tapped into that sense of I am what others say about me. So we live our life auditioning day in and day out. It's exhausting because you're always going to find somebody who isn't happy with what you say or what you do. So when people say, oh, you're inferior or they question your motives or you're controversial or, you know, people like to assign us to a category so they can sort of figure us out. You know, oh, you're one of those artists or you're a, you're a man, you're conservative, you're liberal, you're an evangelical, you're a millennial. You know, they try. It's what people say about us. And what's interesting is that you might know somebody who has a public image but your personal experience with them is very different than the public image they have. But they're deemed very valuable in the public eye because we live on what others say about me. 
So the demons of temptation come to Jesus and say, if you jump down, all will see it and they will say, he's from God. You jump down, angels swoop you up. Then everybody's going to say that you're amazing. But Jesus knew and found out that people praised him and they rejected him. They followed him, then they mocked him. One day they said, Hosanna. The next day they said, give us Barabbas, crucify him. And Jesus had to live his life, not out of what everybody has to say, but out of the love of the Father. I'm more than what I have. I'm more than what I do. I'm more than what people say about me. So, uh, and that's shaped out of the experience that I am a loved son of God, that you are a loved daughter of God, the Father, your Father in heaven. If a lot of our energy goes into these things in our life, we're going to find that these things change. And then we'll allow ourselves to base our value on these things. And we begin to live this emotional up and down life, an unstable path. We feel good about ourselves. We feel valuable. We're available to God in the good times and full of shame in the bad times. And when we lose these qualities in our life, we can slip into a dark place place of discouragement or hopelessness. Then you find yourself in that place where that voice that once declared, this is my son or daughter whom I'm pleased is reduced to a whisper, a distant memory. And we, like the younger son and like the older son, are lurking to circumstances and things to rediscover the love of the Father that is right there for us. So as you continue this walk of faith in your life, learn to embrace the Father's love. Learn to experience the love of your Father. 